Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Ich warte seit Wochen auf diesen Tag und tanz vor Freude über den Asphalt. Als wär's sein Rhythmus, als gäb sein Lied, das mich immer weiter durch die Straßen zieht. Komm dir entgegen. Hallo und welcome to Gegenpressing, the Bundesliga Podcast. I'm Manu Veth, he's Stefan Bienkowski and Stefan. We have a title race. It's now official. It's five games left. Bayern Munich have given up top spot in the Bundesliga. Um, it feels real. I think there might be a change of the guard after 10 years of waiting. For the first time in the history of this podcast, we might have a different champion than Bayern Munich. Even <laughs> just the thought of that is insane. But first of all, how are you? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I'm doing very well. I'm up on Sky this week and I had, putting aside the Bundesliga title race for a moment, I actually had a pretty incredible experience. Uh, anyone who follows me on Twitter might have seen the photos I put up this morning, but um, we were lucky enough to have the Aurora Borealis or the Northern Lights, oh. as some people call them. Uh, we had them over the house last night. So that was the first time I've ever actually seen them. Um, and that was oh. super cool. Um so yeah, and then today we kind of did a bit of traveling around the city, or not city, the island, kind of got to see my my wife's brother's new baby and stuff. So yeah, pretty chilled out day, to be honest. Uh, a oh, lot of pictures are awesome. Yeah, oh, it's incredible. <laughs> Just saw the pictures. Um, yeah, amazing. <laughs> um, it, it was it was pretty nuts, to be honest. Um, but yeah, that's that was a really cool experience. But yeah, besides that, very happy mm. to get stuck into some really, really exciting Bundesliga chat. Mm. Yeah, no, I can't wait to talk about it all. Um, we have a ton of the to, to discuss, I think, this week, and um, we should probably get started with it right after this break. This episode of the Gegenpressing Podcast is brought to you by Bet Online. BetOnline.ag is your number one source for all your basketball info, stats, news, and scores. Get the latest odds and lines, including the latest player reports for this year's pro basketball playoffs. BetOnline is always your sports information headquarters this season, as we have you covered for all your sports wagering needs. Basketball, MLB, NHL hockey, right to UFC and boxing. BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to get your betting info including live betting options and your favorite casino and card games you can play right from your home. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to get in on the action. Be sure to use our promo code BELIEF, B-L-E-A-V, BELIEF, to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. That is B-L-E-A-V for 50% welcome bonus. Bet online where the game starts. Yeah, before we start with the Bundesliga, Stefan, we actually have to start with the the second division, the Stadt Derby. Um, you know, we recommended this to a few people on the podcast uh, in the preview show. We usually 
don't do a ton of stuff on the second division. Um, not because we don't like it, quite the contrary. We actually love the second division. It's a matter of uh, capacity uh, uncovering it. But we did cover that. Um, there's an article on the Substack as well. But wow, what a spectacle. 4-3 for HSV, massive win. Uh, St. Pauli's run to the top of the table uh, stopped abruptly. Um, anyone who caught this game, I think, um, will feel very fortunate at having caught it. Um, a seven-goal festival and Heidenheim win on the weekend as well. So Hamburg is still in the in the battle for that second spot that will guarantee um, promotion directly, right? So at the moment they're third. But Stefan, I think this was probably the best advertisement that you could get for the second division. Yeah, I mean, I didn't get a chance to watch this game, but I was kind of following it on Twitter, and we've obviously got uh, one of our close colleagues at Transfermarkt's a huge Hamburg fan. He was at the game, mm. and he was kind of tweeting us as the goals were going in, and I was kind of watching the score, and I was like, this looks absolutely bonkers. And it was, yeah. I do kind of, I mean, I, I certainly don't mind the thought of St. Pauli getting promoted at all. I think they'd be a great asset to the Bundesliga, but I do kind of have a bit of a soft spot for Hamburg as well um mm. so I think I was probably was supporting Hamburg in this game actually um from very from afar without any chance of watching it but it looked like a result that was just so crucial for Hamburg because it now means uh they're now what six point no no nine points clear of fourth place um so yeah they're still obviously in the race for first and second um I guess the only mm. kind of the only kind of um, downside this weekend was obviously the fact that Heidenheim and Darmstadt both won as well, but it now puts a serious buffer, I think, between them and fourth place. So at the very least, they really yeah. should be getting that playoff spot. Um, and it's now all in their own hands, I guess. So, But yeah, you watched the game. What did you make of it? Oh, I, I, I was very impressed, first of all, by the quality of the game. Um, you know, does that feel like a Bundesliga fixture, which, you know, it might be in a, in a couple of years, um, hopefully, because it is one of the biggest games in German football. The, those two sides have met each other 109 times, right? And we have had a few Hamburg derbies in in the, in the Bundesliga, and they've always been spectacular as well. And, um, you know, it just... HSV was such a giant of a team and such a giant of a club. You had 56,500 fans at this game. Um, the, the choreography ahead of the match was fantastic. And then the drama of the game itself, that it went back and forth and, you know, St. Pauli take the lead and then HSV turn it around. And then, uh, you know, they, they every time HSV opened the gaps and Pauli kept coming back, um, and I was really impressed by Hurzler, the the head American-born head coach, right, of St. Pauli, who's only 30. Um, so this is a name that you should probably keep an eye on. Um, he's one of the next up-and-coming young German coaches um, or German-American coaches, right? I guess if if America wants to claim him, we have lots of American listeners, so they probably want to. Um, but, you know, at 30 to go into a big match like that, um, and go in with a conviction like that and trying to win a game like that, I thought, yeah, that was very impressive. Um, and he has won 10 out of 12 games since been taking over St. Pauli. That's that's another thing, right, to, to keep in mind. So I think for HSV, this was a massive win. Um, I think it could be one of those turnarounds in the season because 
if they had lost this, I think we know what what would have happened next, Stefan. We've seen it many years, many times before, right? And I think them winning this game will probably give them that momentum that they need to maybe catch Heidenheim and avoid the playoffs because you don't know who you're going to get in playoffs. This this the Bundesliga at the moment. Um, we talked about this before the podcast. Um, all the, the 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 teams in the relegation battle they all drop points and at the moment you could get Stuttgart, Schalke, or Hertha in the relegation playoffs and if you're hamburgers fall you probably want to avoid all three of them yeah it's really interesting because i was chatting to the aforementioned hamburg colleague that we have i'm not sure if we should name him or not because he hasn't been on the show yet <laughs> not that he's not he's a shame to be a hamburg fan but anyway uh i was trying to have a discussion with him about like finances at the club at hamburg because you know I think it's probably fair to say they are one of the top four clubs in Germany in terms of, you know, fan base and finances. Mm. Well, maybe not finances now, but historically anyway. And we were ta- chatting about how the, you know, the squad itself may be okay and probably should be pushing for Bundesliga promotion, but would probably be up against quite a lot next season if they did, if they did get promoted. And I drew a comparison to Schalke. And you made a really interesting point that, you know, the long-term kind of investor at Hamburg, whose name has completely um, left me, actually. Um, he actually would be quite interested in investing more money in the club once they got promoted back to the, the top flight, I think. So there's quite a lot going on at Hamburg right now. It does kind of feel, as we have seen for a number of seasons now, they're just kind of waiting to get over this kind of finish line before they can kind of get back to where they were before. But look at the end of the day they have to prove that they're worthy of being in the Bundesliga and they're just about doing enough this season but Mm. obviously I think the club would much rather avoid a playoff a potential playoff spot yeah it's shipping magnet Michael Kuhne uh, Mm. who is the investor um, at HSV and he bought the stadium rights which is why the stadium now is called Volksparkstadion which is this traditional Mm. name right um I mean, there's been some controversy about him as well. Um, you know, the topic of investors in German football is probably an entire chapter in itself, Stefan. That we can explore more in depth, maybe. Um, we should get Matt Ford back on for that, I think, at some point and discuss it all because he's mm. he's written and done a 50 plus one podcast, right, for DW. Um and uh, he said yesterday on Twitter that he would like to be back on. So we should need to make this happen um, and discuss <laughs> this in more detail. Uh, unfortunately, as I said, the investor 50 plus one, HSV, Schalke and all these other clubs would be worth an entire podcast on its own. And um, considering with everything that's going on at the top of the Bundesliga table, I don't think we have enough time to go in depth today because there's an entire book to be written about Bayern Munich over the last three or four weeks since they fired Julian Nagelsmann, Stefan. And mm-hmm. the pain continues. Um, I said this in the WhatsApp chat and I'm not sure... I mean, they probably will. Um, this is going to be maybe a little harsh sounding. But I made this point that if they play the way they did against Mainz after the equalizer went in, mm. they might not win another game this year. Yeah. Um, I mean, it was just... It was a really interesting game to watch, actually, because I think going in at half time when, if I'm not mistaken, they were 1-0 up... Yeah. Um, it felt to me like, you know, Bayern were doing just about enough to 
you know, make sure they picked up the points in this game. Um, Sadio Mane had scored. Uh, he'd, he'd been. He'd also scored an offside goal just before his goal. Of course. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I know. And then we kind of talked about this, and you were like, you know, the amount of times he's been offside this season's obscene. I actually felt like he was extremely unlucky, to be honest with you, with that mm-hmm. offside call. Um, and and yeah, I mean, you know, Bayern went in at half time with an XG of one point four four. Mainz had an XG of zero point four two, and. Yeah. It felt like a game to me in which I really didn't think Mainz were going to put up much of a fight. They hadn't so far anyway. Um, and I kind of predict, and I think I predicted as much in my, made as much of my, I predicted as much in the prediction show is what I'm trying to say mm. there, uh, that I thought Bayern would pick up a very narrow win. And that was the way it was going. And then the match just kind of turned on its head. Um, yeah. You know, some truly remarkable kind of goals from Bayern. Uh, so from Mainz in the second half, a degree of luck. I think we we've kind of discussed this actually. The first, I think it was the first Mainz goal. I'm still not entirely sure how it wasn't ruled offside in the sense I know yeah. Cancelo was on the line for the actual goal, but I have some concerns over the cross that kind of led to the goal. If, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, everything just kind of went right for Mainz in the second half, and I think what's really worth kind of taking away from this from a Bayern point of view is, and we've kind of talked about this and. I think we talked about this after the Hoffenheim game in the sense that, you know, Hoffenheim obviously won that game with an outstanding Kramerich. No, they drew it, sorry, with an outstanding Kramerich free kick. Mm. And we and we said at the time that Bayern of last season or the season before wouldn't have been able to stop that free kick just as they weren't able to stop the free kick um, in, the, in, 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 in that game last week. But the difference is that they would have already been two or three goals up by then. Yeah. And... I do kind of feel like that's much the same as what's happened in this game. They had complete control of the game in the first half, uh, and they probably should have scored two or three goals, but they just didn't really have the players on the pitch to do it. Um, mm. I thought it was really telling that, or it was really interesting rather that, you know, obviously Tuchel decided to start Sadio Mane after all this kind of noise uh, about him you know, getting kind of shoved out the back door in the summer. Um, mm. I wonder if he played him with the intention of saying, well, you know, let's not, let's not get too ahead of ourselves here. Um, yeah. And the other interesting thing as well is I actually thought Cancelo, when he moved to the left wing back spot after Davies went off, I thought he played quite well as well in that role. I know mm. he's at fault for one of the goals, technically, but again, o- overall point is that obviously Bayern weren't, very, weren't good enough. And I think at the heart of that was the fact that they just weren't scoring goals so it meant that, you know, that that second half, Mainz found themselves, like, what, in the 65th minute, and they're like, we're only one goal down to Barn here. We might as well just throw everything at it, which they mm-hmm. did, and then Barn just completely crumbled. Yeah, I think it was remarkable what happened after the equaliser. Um, the manner in which Mainz steamrolled them and turned this game around and dominated that game... Um, I thought was quite remarkable and I also thought it was remarkable that Bayern Munich it was like someone took a hot needle to an air balloon um this entire squad just deflated I've I've not seen anything like it in 10 years um Mm. it's almost like they gave up they were like we're not getting a second goal here we might as well not try um the shoulders just sacked the the heads went down um, and that makes me think that there's something fundamentally broken within this team. And 
that is really concerning when you when you look at the season now um, and the way it's going. Yeah, the, the Bundesliga title is still winnable, right? Um, are we really fully convinced that Borussia Dortmund can win all five games? I think Dortmund won't have to win all last of the five games because I don't think Bayern will win the last five games. Um, if the things that are going on within the within the club, this is not just the squad, the entire club, right? There is now a power struggle at the very top that um, is involving Oliver Kahn, Hassan Salihamidzic, and a certain former president living at the Tegernsee. Um, <laughs> and that affects you as a player. And I think there's also a lack of belief. And I think some of that comes down to them not believing that they can score more than one goal a game, right? Um, there is just no confidence at all uh, in the players that are available. And I also think it's really interesting the manner in which Thomas Tuchel already seems damaged as a head coach um, just a few weeks in. He now has the worst record of any new head coach at Bayern Munich, um, beating a record set by Søren Labi in the early 1990s. Hmm. Um, the comments, the Bayern bosses, um, and I mean, we have to put them all in a big bracket here because we don't really know who, who, who's saying this and who isn't, are uh, reportedly unhappy because he suggested that Matisse Tell could go on loan in August, right? Um, mm. And they're now unhappy about that. Then yesterday the news broke that, and I don't understand why the Bayern bosses think this is actually something that will make them look good, but they're saying that they wanted to sign Kasper Schmeichel rather than Jan Sommer. And then it was Nagelsmann who was after Jan Sommer and rejected Kasper Schmeichel. I mean, Stefan, to be honest with you, this makes Nagelsmann look even better in my books because I don't think Kasper Speichel would have made any difference at all. Um, you know, there's a goalkeeper that's probably even worse when it comes to his feet than Jan Sommer. And there's a reason he's no longer in the Premier League and is playing in Nice, right? Um, so there's all this sort of stuff coming out with everyone trying to kind of rescue their reputation is what I'm trying to say. And it feels all fragmented on and off the field. And that is just a recipe where if you buy a Munich, I think they have to be more worried about who's coming behind them rather than what Dortmund is doing in front of them. Mm. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, I think obviously, you know, if, if Bayern do go on and lose this title, it will be down to their own fall and, and the manner in which they've kind of just completely just kind of capitulated in games. I think it's quite telling that I kind of had a quick look at how many points they've dropped from winning positions this season. Mm-hmm. And after 29 games, it stands at 17 points. Wow. Um, and last season, they only dropped 15 points from winning positions, which isn't great, I suppose, but that's over 34 games. So mm. they've, already sur- they've already surpassed the amount of points they dropped from winning positions this season, and there's still another five games to go. Um, and you kind of look at those fixtures that they have. I mean, on paper, they're all perfectly winnable. At least most of them are. Hertha at home, Werder Bremen away, Schalke at home. I mean, those that's that's three relegation, you know, as people would maybe say, relegation fodder. I know Werder Bremen have kind of pulled themselves away from it this season with their result. But so three games that Barnes should win comfortably. Um, and then they've got a very tricky game against Leipzig at the Allianz Arena. And then they play Cologne in the last game of the season. Mm-hmm. And I think the point that you make, and it's one that I definitely agree with, is that because Bayern just do not have um, that kind of talisman or that ability to score goals um, 
or or not even just score goals. It's almost like they just don't have anyone who's who's willing to step up and score the important goals. It's not about yeah. It's not about stat padding after you've already gone two or two goals up or the game's already finished. It's about scoring the crucial goals. It's about scoring that goal in the first ten minutes of the second half to make sure minds don't come back or it's about making sure you pick up a second or third goal against Hoffenheim so that they can't kind of, you know, come back and claim a draw or whatever else. Mm. And that seems to be what's missing from this Bayern team. And you're absolutely right in talking about, you know, Sommer or Schmeichel or whatever else. Mm. The fundamental issue here, and, you know, I saw some reports that, you know, Tuchel might be in trouble in the summer. <laughs> and I kind of tweeted about it saying, you know, this kind of nonsense would make Chelsea blush in the sense of the way they just keep thinking the manager or the head coach is at fault. Yeah. And it just continues to kind of, you can, and you can even see it in the in the in the type of stories that are coming out of the club right now, and it's almost like as you said, you know, with the whole Schmeichel idea. I mean, there's no way that that story hasn't come out to kind of give the suggestion that if if only Nagelsmann had allowed, you know, Salihamovic or Oliver Kahn or whoever else to bring in Schmeichel, then maybe Sommer wouldn't be here, and maybe Sommer wouldn't be making mistakes. As if Jan Sommer is the issue here, you know. I mean, yeah, I wasn't I wasn't a huge fan of him when or. Sorry, let me let me reword that. I'm a, I am a huge fan of Jan Sommer. I wasn't a huge fan of Barnes signing Jan Sommer because, as we said at the time, it's a stopgap. Whether he can do what Neuer does, blah blah blah. But I mean, whether it's not as if they'd be in a different position if you know Casper Schmeichel was between the, the, the nets right now. The issue is that the squad that has been built initially for Nagelsmann and now for Tuchel simply isn't good enough and i mean man for man is not good enough compared to what it has been in the past but also it has big structural problems they don't have a number nine as we talked about i mean as soon as we saw that chupa moting was out of that game on saturday about an hour or two before kickoff you knew that Mainz had a chance in this game hmm. and that's such a weird position for Bayern to be in that they're relying on chupa moting for, for games like this and you know, I kind of, I, I kind of responded to that lineup graphic with a, you know, a hashtag, hashtag free tail, as in Mateus tail, mm. the way that you know Dortmund fans used to do with Shinji Kagawa when he wasn't getting games at Manchester United. But it's, 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 it's just kind of quite baffling that even after all that situation, someone like Tail can't get game time, um, because I feel like he would have maybe offered a bit more. Um, of a kind of more direct route to goal, he would have been even just having some sort of poacher in that box, as opposed to, you know, the kind of the tactic that they went for at the time, which was just this yeah. kind of weird kind of system of playing with, um, you know, well, I guess that's Sadio Mane and Thomas Muller. For, Muller didn't work at all. We've talked about this in the last couple of weeks, in the sense that I find it, I find it really interesting as well that one of the big criticisms of Nagelsmann and perhaps one of the reasons he got sacked is that he just kind of he had already tried to kind of transition his team off of Thomas Muller mm. and when Tuchel came back Thomas Muller came straight into the team he played his fantastic performance against Dortmund and people thought wow this is Bayern this is this is FC Bayern this is the way it's supposed to be you know Thomas Muller's the kingmaker at Bayern you have to get him on your side you have to play him but he's actually been in and out of this team and Tuchel's actually played him in my opinion in the wrong games Muller's the kind of guy you want in the games against Manchester City where, yeah. you know, you're trying to hit them on the break, you're looking for transitions, you're trying to find space to exploit. Not against Mainz when Mainz are going to be quite happy to sit with like eight or ten guys behind the ball. Mm. Um, so, I don't know. It's we, we are now at a point where we are just kind of regurgitating the same issues that Bayern week in, week out, but 
it should I think it I think it is clear to most fans. And I don't and I think this is kind of where maybe Tuchel does have some sort of strength in the sense that he can turn around to this squad, this board in, in the summer and say, Well, look, you're not gonna sack me because you've already sacked Nagelsmann and to sack me would just be bonkers. Um it's time you guys admitted that the squad that you've built and the squad that you've spent the last two or three seasons saying is capable of winning the Champions League. It's about time we accept that that's no longer the case, and there's going to have to be some major surgery on this team. Um, but whether Bayern can kind of stumble across the line before then, I guess remains to be seen. Hmm. I think what's going to be more interesting, um, what's going to be more interesting to see is what's going to happen with uh, Oliver Kahn and Hasan Salihamidzic. Um, you know talking to people um, i had a phone call actually before we went on this podcast so that's really interesting um talking to people um at bayern and um there is this the tuchel is a hoeness guy um right and hasan salihamidzic and oliver khan are very much under pressure um there is this this whole idea that Oliver Kahn has um, made Bayern Munich this cold place to work at, right? Um, that the familiarity is gone. Uh, I, I mean, that has been, I find it interesting that this comes out now because that's been a criticism of the late Hoeneß years too, talking to some people that work at Bayern Munich. That, mm. That's been a case there already, that this this idea of Mirzamir and familiarity and everyone is welcome that that's already kind of been on the way out because simply because of the club growing in stature and growing as an organization and as a company. I mean, we're talking about a, a football club um, whose revenue is close to a billion euros now, right? Mm. So we're, this is this is this is a company now, um, and I think there is some issues with that transition. And Oliver Kahn is sort of the first CEO to come in and be like trying to be like a businessman rather than. Uh, one of those traditional managers that we had in German football, right? That run a fam family company. So mm -hmm. I think some of it doesn't chime there, but there is still these these conflicts between different people within the club um, trying to preserve that in one way or another. And um, I think that is also playing a big role here in what is going on, because if you don't have if you have the old guard still present, the new guard trying to leave a mark and then them clashing, that doesn't lead exactly to a culture that is a winning culture. And I think what everything that we're seeing right now that's going on at the club, Stefan, and that includes now the results on the pitch, Bayern Munich have been dominant in the Bundesliga for so many years because they've never made a mistake on and off the field. I think in this transition, and it probably started with Kovac and then because Dortmund were not strong enough to capitalize of the mistakes that Bayern made, they kind of got away with it. So you're actually in a situation now where structural weaknesses that have existed maybe for three or four years have been able to creep in even more and go into the foundation of the club because of that, right? Because there was no other team in the Bundesliga to actually hurt them. Um and I think it's gotten so deep now that something might actually be really broken. Um, and that's it because like, if you're really honest, Stefan, it's not like Dortmund are playing this amazing season either. 
and yet it still might be enough for them to win the title. Yeah, I think, yeah, you're absolutely right. I think it goes all the way up to the top, even to like, you know, Herbert Heiner, who I thought, mm-hmm. I, was, I was kind of tweeting this through the week that, um, you know, he obviously came out, obviously uh, Marcus Fyotov reported that, not Marcus, sorry, his dad, yeah. I guess. <laughs> um, his brother. <laughs> sorry, his brother, of course, sorry. Um, tweeted the story that Oliver Kahn, you know, might be leaving the club. And then, you know, Heiner came out and said, well, that's that's not true. It's not going to happen. And, you know, the interesting thing to me about Heiner is that he's obviously come from a very corporate background where mm. it's very easy to just deny a story, even if it's true. You know, well, we started with Nagelsmann, right? Remember the kicker interview that he gave like a week before Nagelsmann was sacked? Well, exactly. You took the words right out of my mouth. And this is kind of why I tweeted at the time saying, you know, I'd probably take whatever Heiner says with a pinch of salt. I think he also did similar with Lewandowski when he said time and yeah. time again, we're not selling him yeah, up until correct. maybe a week before he sold. And, you know, I can understand from a business point of view, if you're running like a Fortune 500 company that you don't want to give, you basically just deny, deny, deny until something comes out and then you move on to the next thing. But when it comes to a football situation, I feel like Bayern have started treating their fans like customers rather than fans. And, you know, it's all... Like, we obviously work in the media. It, it's absolutely fine if a club chairman wants to basically just deny our stories and try to kind of downplay reports, even if they're true. But at the end of the day, if you're going to do it, if you do that time and time and time again, it just comes across that you're basically lying to the fans or you're trying to cover up stories until you're ready to tell fans. And... That in itself kind of sums up the issues, I think, at Bayern Munich right now, where there's almost like there's no accountability. And, you know, you've got Heiner denying things, whether or not they're true, up until the point that they then come out, which then makes fans think, well, what's the point of him even speaking in the first place if he's just going to lie in front of camera? Uh, You then have guys like Salihamovic and Lovar Khan saying, "We we have a squad that should be competing in the Champions League, which two head coaches have tried and seemingly failed to get the best out of um and you know it's just it, it it just seems to be completely falling apart and as you said look because of Bayern's dominance in the Bundesliga you need to have like three or four ducks line up in a row for another team to even have a chance and that's basically what we've had this season it's not because the coach is picking the wrong tactics it's not because one or two players are underperforming you know, and it's not because maybe one aspect of the board doesn't get on with the other. It's because everything is happening at once, you know, and that's why the FC Hollywood tag is back out. And that's fundamentally why Dortmund are now an opportunity to kind of take advantage of it because there's so much going wrong that it's not, Bayern aren't capable of just a quick fix. Yeah. Um, the next meeting of the board is on May 22nd. Um, at which time Borussia Dortmund by, might be the next uh, Bundesliga title winner. Um, I think what is really interesting here is that they're going after Oliver Kahn when I personally think that Hasan Salihamidzic and Neppe are the ones that put together the squad. And remember too, Salihamidzic got a new contract after he signed Sadio Mane, right? Mm. Um, that was sort of his present um, from the board. Um, as yeah. He, yeah. Can I, can I just add one more thing on this before we maybe yeah, move definitely. on? And that, and this is on Sajhamovic. I did have some, you know, listeners reach out to me on Substack this week and ask about, you know, I think it was one in particular saying, you know, how come it's the, you know, how come it's the head coaches that are getting all this grief mm. and not the players? And I was saying, well, 
at the end of the day, like it comes down to if the players aren't good enough, it comes down to the guy who picks the players. And while this season has largely been a case of Nagelsmann getting in the neck and then eventually getting sacked, you don't have to go that far back before Salihamovic was under a huge amount of pressure at Bayern and heavily linked with a departure from the club as well. So mm. I think it'll be really interesting to see what the kind of consequences are if Bayern don't win the title this season and go the entire season without any trophies because they can't sack Tuchel. So, you know, maybe this is why the Oliver Kahn stories are beginning to surface. But yeah, I completely agree with you. I'd be very surprised if they finish this season without any trophies and Kahn or Sajamovic or even perhaps even Heiner are still at the club. Yeah. Uh, I mean, we'll probably find out that week in between match day 33 and uh, match day 34. And um, at, at, there is a very realistic chance that Dortmund will be already champions when we go into match day 34. Um, you were talking about the run-in, right? Um, which on paper seems pretty easy, but Bayern Munich are playing three teams that need points to avoid relegation. And all these teams will say, hey, the way those guys have been playing, that's three points we can get and separate us from the rest of the, the bottom of the table, right? Um, I think that's how much times have changed. Schalke, of course, by quality, are not good enough to beat Bayern Nieder Hertha, but I think they feel that they can get something from those games. And um, I, I, I don't know. I said this to you. I might be completely wrong here, but I said this to you uh, when we chatted because we, we had some plans for match day 34. And I said to you, Look, I think Dortmund will already be champions going into match day 34. Um, which is, of course, a huge turning point in where we are in the league. And a good transition to Dortmund. In a, they will beat Frankfurt in a game um, that I felt felt like a turning point um, in the history of the Bundesliga. Because... When you looked at the faces, uh, when we talked, I talked to Chris Williams we during the game about this. Man, the Dortmund players looked nervous going into this match. They knew what was at stake. They knew that this was a huge opportunity. They knew that if they wouldn't win against Frankfurt, the criticism would be immense. Absolutely immense. And then I thought they came out with one, what was one of their best performances this season. Um, Jude Bellingham scoring the opener, right? In, in a brilliant fashion. Um, I thought it was a goal that was scored by a leader um, of a team wanting to win the title. And Bellingham, of course, has been very outspoken about wanting to win the title, right, Stefan? So, you know, his mm-hmm. words are backing it up. Daniel Marlin, um, and you've been on this for a while now. He was incredible. Two goals. Uh, Mats Hummel steps up. You know, he doesn't get the game time that he does usually. But he's also been someone who has been outspoken about wanting to win the title with Dortmund. I thought he was immense as well. And he does score as well, right? Make it uh, 3-0 just before halftime. Probably putting that game to bed. It's just watching this match and watching the way Dortmund handled the match. And then watching the reactions after the game. You felt Dortmund had won first place. And you feel that they're not going to give it up. Yeah, I think... What was really interesting about this, I mean, just to pick up on Jude Bellingham, this is probably his first good performance for quite some time, maybe. Yeah. Um, you know, not to kind of criticise the player, I just mean in the sense that he's looked quite um, 
well, I guess unfit's the best word to describe it. He looks like he's been carrying an injury, you know, and there's been a lot of talk, especially here in the UK, about just how many minutes he's picked up at this stage in his career, um, mm-hmm. despite being such a young man, which I think's maybe something that's maybe worth bearing in mind for clubs that look to sign him in maybe two or three seasons because you do tend to find with young players who start very early on that basically their careers do get shortened into the front half of the season. Um, Michael Owen at Liverpool is perhaps a good example of that for anyone uh, from an English point of view who's listening to this. But um, he obviously bounced back. You look back to his, 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 his old self. And, you know, I think there's kind of there's kind of two things here that I think are really interesting. Daniel Mallon um, is just having this incredible moment. I think he's now scored in his last five or six games in a row. Um He's now scored or assisted nine of Dortmund's last seventeen league game league goals, which is fifty three percent. He's he's now scored or created over half of Dortmund's goals in the last mm. like six or seven games, which is just incredible if you think about like what a time for this man to finally arrive in German football, you know. Yeah. And I think there's going to be so much interesting kind of or so much. Um, that will come out because obviously he'll want to give interviews after the season and I think that's when we'll probably begin to see him or the club admit that yeah he's been struggling with an injury here or personal issues there or whatever else because these things usually do come out when the benefit of hindsight is available and I think it'll be really interesting to see mm-hmm. what's kind of what's switched for him what's kind of allowed him to kind of switch into this fantastic run of form because this is the guy that we saw you know, in the Eredivisie, it's the, it's the guy that Dortmund spent a huge amount of money signing in Dortmund's, uh, in Dortmund terms anyway. Um, and he has kind of just dragged Dortmund kicking and screaming back into this title race. Um, and I think the really interesting thing as well, we kind of talked about the way that Bayern have kind of dropped points this season from leading positions. And maybe that's where they've allowed Dortmund to creep back into this. But think from a Dortmund point of view the really interesting thing is just how much they've managed to rely on this home form this season if you kind of look at the points picked up at home in the Bundesliga this season Dortmund are top with five points clear of Bayern Munich so Dortmund have picked up 37 points from 14 games and Bayern have picked up 32 mm. points from uh, 14 games Bayern interestingly enough have picked up as many home points this season as RB Leipzig uh, and Union Berlin so I think that's a really good indicator of you know we talk about how Dorm- uh, Bayern have maybe dropped down a level um, and I think that's where Dortmund have able to pick up on because if you look at the away form um, Bayern have actually picked up four more points in Dortmund so it's that home form that Dortmund have just really latched onto and just kind of built this campaign around and you can you can tell that as well in terms of like their goals scored and conceded so I mean, this season, this season they're averaging three goals per home game, which is just absolutely incredible. We've probably not seen something like that since, you know, Jurgen Klopp's time at the club. Uh, and if you actually look at how many goals are cons- they're scoring on the road, it drops from three to just one point six. So, quite literally, almost half as many goals are scoring. And if you also look at how many goals are conceding, uh, they're conceding twice as many goals on the road as they do at home. So, we're talking about a club here who. Um, are maybe not so far as to say Jekyll and Hyde, but because they're still obviously you know, and this they're still the third best team in the league when it on away forms. So that's not like they're like not like they're a relegation team on the road. But you know, as we saw in Stuttgart two weekends ago, um, you know they are capable of kind of slipping on these banana skins on the road, 
but they keep coming home, they keep getting in front of that yellow wall, and they keep putting in these really impressive performances. And that in itself makes me really in, kind of hopeful for them in terms of this kind of title race, because if you look at the last five games, they've got Bochum away, Wolfsburg at home, Gladbach at home, Augsburg away, and then Mainz at home. So with all due respect to Bochum and, and Augsburg, the three teams that you would expect or maybe even think to take points off Dortmund in those games, Wolfsburg, Gladbach, Mainz are all at home. Now, if you'd switched yeah. that round and they were playing those three teams on the road and playing Bochum and Augsburg at home, I'd probably be saying to you right now, look, we cannot really... I don't think we can say Dortmund are going to go this distance here. I don't think they're going to be able to kind of, um, you know, keep keep this momentum going because... Wolfsburg away, Gladbach away, and Mainz away. It just feels like that that'd be too much for me for them to pick up nine points from nine uh, from those three games. But because they're playing those three teams at home, and because their home form has been so incredible, I feel like they can pick up those nine points. And then all they have to kind of what they then have to rely on is making sure they don't slip up against Bochum and Augsburg. So you know when people say this is now in Dortmund's hands, I think that's probably a fair thing to say. And you know, we're just going to have to wait and see what happens, but they put themselves in such a good position now. See, I don't think they'll have to beat Mainz at home. I think that game is going to be a coronation party. Sure. <laughs> it's just, I don't know. It's a feeling that I have. I I, I, can't, I don't have any statistical proof and I might be completely wrong here. It's just, I don't think it's this title race is going to go to match day 34. Hmm. I just, look, this might be completely changed on the next match day um, and when, when the results come in. But it's the way Bayern have conducted themselves. And I think they don't longer believe in the title themselves. And that is yeah. that is the recipe that I think will make Dortmund succeed earlier yeah. than we think. It's well, just a hunch. I don't know why I'm having this hunch. It's just a feeling that I have. I think this title race will be over before match day 34 well if you kind of you know to keep drawing these comparisons between the two clubs so you know we started this show by well we started the show talking about hamburg but after that when we talked about Bayern, we talked about how they seem incapable of picking up that second or third goal to see out games yeah what's really impressed with dortmund this season is at home they just can't they just can't stop scoring goals you know now whether that away form and whether that kind of dip in away form trips them up in the end we have to wait and see. As you said, you know, they might not end up having to worry about. But if if that's the case and, and if you really do think that, you know, they'll win the title before the last match day, I think that means they're probably gonna to have to beat Bochum away and Augsburg away, which are perfectly doable. But mm. I it must I guess we'll just have to kinda of, I think Bochum away and then obviously they've then got um Wolfsburg and Gladbach. I think those are three really crucial games because that if they win those three games it means they know that they've got Augsburg a whole away and I, I mean I, I'm really just kind of repeat I guess I'm just kind of going through the motions here but I guess we're just gonna have to wait and see I, I just I don't know what else to say here because yeah. at, at, at this point of the season you, you can't really you can't really make too many predictions on five games because so much can change between those moments you know mm. so uh, but it's great it's almost kind of quite pure in the sense that neither of these teams is in the pokal Neither of these teams is in the Champions League Europa League. It's now just they've now just both teams just have five games in front of them, and it's just a showdown. 
and that's yeah. that's all there's there's nothing left beyond that so it's it like maybe pure is not the right word but it just seems very kind of straightforward no hold, no holds barred and then we're just mm. kind of just it's a shoot it's a shootout it's it's a shootout yeah it is it is actually a, we're in a penalty shootout stage um and that's what we wanted when the season started uh, we wanted a legitimate title race and we got just that it's going to be exciting um Stefan, we might finish the the German football season with three teams having won major titles and none of them being Bayern Munich. Um, <laughs> and that's my transition to Bayer Leverkusen. Who, we were talking about that. They're making such a late surge to the top of the table. Um, play some remarkable football beat leipzig in you know a game that will probably really hurt leipzig because they now dropped out of the top four union berlin mm-hmm. really cementing their spot um in the top four as a result um proving all the xg believers wrong out there match day 29 and union are on course for a champions league spot who would have thought that um but i want to stick to Bayer leverkusen here because they are a team that despite not finishing in the top four could probably still end up in the Champions League because they might win the Europa League. And they're doing all of this. And it's really hard to find any more praise for what Javi Alonso has done since he's come in. Um, we lo- I looked at the, the form table since uh, Alonso took over, right? Um, and he is firmly in third place in the Bundesliga behind Dortmund and Bayern. And, you know, he's he's getting out of the squad what he should be getting out of the squad. But I feel like it's the manner in which they do it. And look, this Jose Mourinho said it. He might be the next, next big coach to come out. And, um, you know, Alonso, remarkable, eh? Yeah, I mean, that, was, that, that clash on Sunday um, was really impressive for... In, in two ways, really, not just the sense that, you know, they managed to pick up a really good result uh, against a Leipzig side who mm-hmm. were really gunning for all three points in that game. Yeah. Uh, but they managed to do that without Florian Wurz, who was, who was ruled out of the game kind of last minute. And I kind of went into the match thinking, well, you know, I've watched Leverkusen recently without Florian Wurz, and it really does feel like, you know, a, a, a car without its engine or without any gas or whatever you want to use, whatever kind of weird automobile metaphor you want to use. And that might seem harsh, but, you know, I watched, and certainly in the first half, there was one counter-attack, but I think it was Mitchell Backer kind of led it, and it was three on one. And it was just this clueless kind of mess of forward players running into each other, running offside. And then I think the the, the one uh, Leipzig defender, I'm pretty sure it was Willie Orban, actually managed to kind of stop it himself, you know, and... It, it felt to me like the kind of perfect example of this Leverkusen team without Verts because they have a lot of runners, they have a lot of players who can score goals, but they just don't have another player like Verts who can kind of thread that pass or kind of or make sure that transition from defence to attack works so well. Um, and I've kind of wrote about it quite a lot this season, actually, in terms of mm. how this team kind of functions with and without Vertz. So this game without him was a huge test for Leverkusen because they were up against their Leipzig side who I think man for man were probably better than them uh, and a team that were very, very kind of determined to win this game. Uh, I thought Marco Rosa played a kind of interesting tactic where he played Klosterman 
and Henrik's, no, sorry, Halstenberg and Henrik's on kind of opposite wings to allow them to kind of cut inside because obviously Leverkusen were playing with his back five and Leverkusen's game's all about width. So Rosa decided, he's like, well, I'm going to take my two wing backs and invert them so that they cut inside and try and kind of play balls into Olmo and Werner and Schobersly. And I mean, I guess Leverkusen were quite lucky in the sense that it didn't really work very well. Um, I felt like it was a tactic that kind of harm, harmed Leipzig more than it kind of helped them kind of work around Leverkusen's tactics. Um, but for the large part, Leverkusen were just a very defensive, solid, structured team that tried to hit Leipzig on the break. And that's exactly what they did, um, you know, in the 40th minute when it was kind of a lumped ball up the park. Diaby runs down the right the right wing and just kind of cuts it back to Hozik, who scores a great goal. Um, and then, of course, Amiri then scores five minutes from time uh, with another counter-attack, which I think was Schobersly brought down. Um, I think it was Frimpong he brought down with what was undoubtedly just the most kind of, like, lazy strikers slight tackle you know it's a tackle that defender would have never made because it was just asking for a penalty to be t- to be given um and you know i think leverkusen's xg up until that point was maybe like 0. 0.3 0. 0.35 you know and in leipzig finished with 2.58 so you know i'm not trying to put so much weight on these xg numbers i'm just the point i'm just trying to make is that i think they illustrate just how much leipzig dominated this game yeah and I just think that's really impressive in more than one way because I think Alonso and his team showed a way to play a game, play almost a plan B throughout this match and it allowed them to kind of win the game without their star player and it did a really good job of kind of just showing how much these players buy into Alonso. You know, he inevitably must have kind of said to him in the lead up to the game, look, we don't have um, Florian Wurtz. Uh, Demerbay is going to have to slot in alongside Andrik in the middle of the pitch. So we're not going to be able to try and go man for man with Leipzig. We're going to have to sit deep. We're going to have to counter-attack. Everything we've been doing for the last five or six weeks, throw it out the window. We're going to have to try something different. And that's what they did. Um, and there's a whole bunch of stuff I want to talk about Leipzig because there's a few players in that team that really kind of annoyed me. But um, <laughs> yeah, for the, for the time being, I think it was just another example of how well Alonso's doing at Leverkusen no totally um, uh, I had someone at Twitter tweeted me saying that it was a Leipzig fan well Leverkusen are not actually doing a good job they're just playing like Union Berlin I'm like my counterpoint to that is if you most creative player isn't on the field and you need to get three points in the race for the Champions League you do whatever is tactically necessary to win the game. And that is the mark of a great head coach. Um, mm. That is my response. <laughs> um, and like Leipzig, yeah, I mean, in terms of the squad and the players that they have, the talent is certainly there. But the, the Dominic Soboslai, um, that was such a lazy penalty to give away in so many ways, right? Um, unnecessary too while you're already on a yellow card he, he fouled Frimpong um, Stefan was the player yeah. he brought down um, and I just I mean you have some points to make about Leipzig I just think that there is just seems to be something missing from that squad in terms of the killer instinct in terms of 
putting together a serious run. Um, Timo Werner brought us up last week, right? That considering how many points Dortmund and Bayern Munich have dropped this year, it really is a shame that they're not in the title race. And they should be. They should be right up there with them in terms of mm. talent and all that. And you just kind of wonder um, what is missing there. Um, there seems to be a lot of very good players that just do not seem to care enough about playing there. Yeah, I mean, the perfect example of that is Danny Olmo. We talked about yeah. him on our kind of transfer roundup show and uh, last week. And the point that I made was that, you know, Max Eberl, who's the new sporting director at Leipzig, came out recently and said, look, we need to know before, if Olmo's, because I think it was a report that Olmo was going to wait to see where Leipzig finished this season before yeah. he, were, he committed to the club or not. And, you know, Eberl basically said, well, you know we're not we're not have, we're not willing to wait for him to make that decision we'll make a decision before for him before that and the point i was making was i don't really know what danny almost done this season to justify um him thinking that he can kind of call these shots and i thought sunday's game was a perfect example of that i felt like he yeah. huffed and puffed the entire game he he offered very little in you know he got on the ball plenty of times but he did very little with it and I feel like it's really interesting that the emergence of Schobisly in this team who, I mean, people will look at this game on paper and say he got red carded, it was a poor game from him, but I actually thought he was probably one of Leipzig's better attacking players throughout the match. Um, but I think it was really interesting that Omo did very little, which again makes me wonder whether, it, look, he might, not, he might just not be fit, so I can understand if he comes back next yeah. season and he does very well. But as things stand right now, I don't think he justifies a starting role in this team. And I thought the team actually performed far better when um, Christopher Nkuku came on, which was right mm -hmm. after halftime. Uh, came on for Campbell, and you could see that he was offering far more on the ball. And I think that's probably something that Marco Rose is going to have. I think those two issues are something that Rose is going to have to hand, uh, wrestle with over the summer. One, how does this team look when Nkunku leaves in the summer? Presumably he does for Chelsea, although that, that story's kind of dried up and kind of wait and see what happens there uh, but assuming he does leave in some form or another how is this team going to re react to that and then the second issue is can Danny Olmo be relied upon to be one of the players to kind of compensate for Nkunku's departure because from what I've seen this season I don't think he is so you know I feel it's a, it's a bit of a shame that kind of you know Leipzig do seem to be finishing this season stuttering and perhaps even dropping outside the top four mm. uh, but at the same time, maybe a bit like Bayern, but maybe not to the same degree. I think there are a number of names in the squad who have been kind of dining out on their reputation. Yeah, and maybe and maybe Leipzig have to kind of have a good look through the squad in the summer and decide which of these players actually deserve to be here because we are a club that should be challenging for the league title, much like Dortmund are this season, and we're not getting out of enough of these kind of perceived stars. Yeah, well, there's a few that come to mind, right? Um, Emil Forsberg, for example. Danny Olmo is actually one, um, mm. as you mentioned. Um, don't know what Can Konrad Leimer is going to do at Bayern. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, that's just that story is just so bonkers to me um, that he's going there now. But okay, well, here we are. Um, I think they need a world class goalkeeper. Uh, and there is one coming, right? Uh, the young kid that they signed from from Belgium, um, and he's coming over in twenty twenty four. Maybe earlier, one 
depending on what's going on with Galaxy, um, I think it's still crazy that they went into the second half of the season with a backup goalkeeper. Um, mm. It's just, I think Max Eber, and I, I still rate Max Eber quite highly. Um, the, you know, maybe also based on reputation, so we have to wait and see. And I, I always like uh, Rosa as a head coach. But I think those two have a lot of work to do this summer. Hmm. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, we, we probably have to wrap up soon. I think we're maybe yeah. now over an hour. But yeah, I, I completely agree with you. I think there's a lot of work that Leipzig have to do. Where they can get into top four probably makes a big difference to that. But mm. this kind of generation of players that have all came through together, um, some of them have worked out, and Kunga's a good example of that. We've, you know, we've seen guys like Meccano, Kanati move on and stuff like that. But, you know, Olmo, Haidara, Kevin Campbell... Um, some of the fullbacks in particular as well I think are wingbacks yeah. a lot of players in this team who if you were building a team to challenge for the Bundesliga title I don't think are good enough so yeah I think I think Leipzig have a lot of work to do uh, and they could take a lot from Leverkusen who have built a very strong squad and now finally have a head coach who's getting the best out of them yeah I think the coach and the sporting directors in place the players maybe not but that's enough on Leipzig um, we'll be back with two more shows um midweek uh, maybe we can dive into some of these topics then um mm. as always this podcast is brought to you by bet online uh, and stefan as always thanks for everyone listening to this show and also all the people subscribing to the Substack, where you can get two bonus shows and two articles one each written by us um that will be out later this week as well some interesting content coming in what has been a fascinating season um a fascinating bundesliga season and hopefully it stays interesting until the very end but stefan that's it uh any final thoughts before we wrap it up uh no just to say we are working on some plans for the kind of end of the season the yep. finale don't we're not going to give any details away just yet but we are kind of working on some stuff to see if what we can do mm-hmm. if there is a kind of nice dramatic end of the season uh so if you're kind of on the brink of subscribing I would always recommend you to do that because, um, yeah, we were always coming up with new things to try and cover the league. So, so yeah, and as always, to everyone who does subscribe and to everyone who's recently subscribed, we have picked up a kind of nice kind of collection of new subscribers. Uh, hello, welcome. Uh, we hope you enjoy the show and everything else we offer. So, so yeah. Yeah. Thank you for signing up. Um, until next time, auf Wiedersehen. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.